This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. There is no specialty store in New York, indeed probably none in the entire United States, that is as glamorous, as provocative, as sumptuous, and as fashion-forward as Bergdorf Goodman. It has become such an integral symbol of New York high style that it has been the focus of books, has been featured in numerous movies, and even served as a setting for a Barbara Streisand TV special. And its holiday windows are legendarily Luke's, witty, and over-the-top. On Bergdorf's seventh floor is the ultimate high-style home store, full of luxurious temptations ranging from vintage hotel silver, stunning ceramics and fine china, to home fragrance in every guise and form, super soft throws, stunning glassware by storied brands and innovative artisans, Luke's paper goods, and seasonal ornaments. Designers consider it the ideal spot to find that unexpected accessory that makes a room or to unearth the perfect gift for a client who has everything. Now, as Bergdorf's seventh floor opens a special gallery devoted to Cherish's favorite artists, I'm pleased to be joined by Anna Brockway, the co-founder and president of Cherish, and Andrew Mandel, the vice president of decorative home and jewelry at Bergdorf Goodman. Andrew began his career when he opened his own home and gift store in Manhattan when he was only 23 and went on to have a stellar career in the luxury market. First for a decade at the late lamented New York branch of Takashimaya, and then the Guild Group before joining Bergdorf Goodman nearly 11 years ago. Anna and Andrew are here to discuss how the Bergdorf-Cherish collaboration came about, how at a time when brick and mortar home stores are facing challenges, Bergdorf keeps its home floor fresh and exciting, how they choose the many talents they feature, and what they both see ahead for the home design and retailing. Welcome back, Anna. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so glad you're here. And hello, Andrew. Hello, Michael. So I want to find out how this collaboration between an internet seller and one of the storied brick and mortar, really the, the most special store in New York, how did this get started? Andrew, did you reach out to Anna? Anna I know Anna, you're also a huge fan of Bergdorf, as I, am I. Massive, massive right. fan. So how did, it, how did this get started? Well, who courted uh, whom? <laughs> well, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Anna, Anna and I danced. We danced for quite a while. Yes, we did. For a couple of years, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Throughout the pandemic, too. Yes. Yes. Uh, she had reached out to me and about collaborating. And I was a little hesitant at first because I was like, you're a retailer and we're a retailer. And how do we do this? But after a few conversations and lunches, it made total sense. Yeah. I mean, I have to credit Marissa Marcantonio, who really helped make the introduction. And as you said, I'm an enormous, like, kind of weird level Bergdorf fan, to be honest. As Andrew <laughs> will tell you, it's it's a little bit weird how much I love Bergdorf's. You said it, you think it's the most sumptuous store in America. I think it is in the world. When I go in there, every time I'm just blown away by both the sophistication of the merchandise, but also just the sharpness of the edit. And for me, it's the most fun place to shop. So I'm obsessed. And anytime I'm in New York, I'm the, like the last person out of the store driving all of the sales ladies crazy. So sorry. 
I've, and I've always loved the seventh floor. And I mean, it's just whenever I'm in New York, because I live in San Francisco most of the time. I mean, it's for me, it's like a pilgrimage that I have to go there and see what happens. So for me to meet Andrew, which is sort of the mastermind behind all of the selections that went into that space was really, really exciting. And then hearing about his background at Takeshimaya, which was another place that I adored, along with many, many other people who were homesick for that it was just really, really fun. And so basically, I terrorized him for years <laughs> until he said, yes, finally, stop calling me. You can come here. So anyways, mm. th- that's the non-sexy version of the story. Right. <laughs> but I, and listen, I agree with you about Bergdorf's, you know, to me, especially once Barney closed down, Barney's New York closed down, I said to a friend, if we ever lose Bergdorf, that's the end of Manhattan for me. Manhattan no longer represents high style and quality and luxury and the life people dream of living. If Bergdorf goes, that's the end of it. But Bergdorf's is still thriving and the seventh floor is thriving, Andrew. I was there before Christmas and I could barely move. And it was I crazy. thought that was so fantastic that people do appreciate Bergdorf's in this special way. And I think it's so interesting, Anna, that you wanted to start selling art there. You know, yeah. the, many of the artists that are represented on Cherish. So how, what was the thinking behind that? Well, Andrew, you might want to talk about it, but you all have a really great track record selling art. I mean, that was your experience. Yeah, well, we were thinking about how to set up this exhibit, and we've been doing really well with art as a category. It's relatively new for us because we're not an art gallery, mm-hmm. and like you, we're not really a department store. So it's like I've been testing this, and it's been doing really well, and we can sell fine art in this kind of department store setting. And this category presents our clients who have everything with something they don't have. So that's why I think it's been doing well. And that's why we decided to focus on that direction. Yeah. And I would just add art's a really important category on Cherish, and we do extremely well with it as well. And it's a place where we use both vintage pieces, but also work a ton with contemporary practicing artists who's going to be appearing at Bergdorf's. So the idea really was just a nice alignment in terms of the focus. The other thing I think that's really nice about art for both of us is is that for many people, buying art is so darn intimidating. And, you know, you walk into these scary places where people aren't that friendly and no one will tell you what things cost. And I look at Bergdorf's as a store that has the most affluent shoppers in the world, really. And still people feel intimidated, you know, about buying art, even those kinds of customers. And so what I think that they've done that's really great, and I think what Cherish has done is that's really aligned with that, is make buying art fun, easy, inspired. And definitely the pieces that we're going, the artists that we're going to be offering aren't cheap and cheerful art. Like, this is... (laughs) Investments You're not selling posters of, here. Exactly. You know. Like this right. is not, I mean, it's not like blue chip artists, but it, it this is expensive art. But we think that by presenting it in a way that feels fun and welcoming and chic and really stylish, because we spend a lot of time on the merchandising, we have an opportunity to really blow up this category. So it's fun. And it's a good point because it's presented in a lot of our exhibits. Yeah. We're not just throwing paintings on a wall. It is everything we do and then working with Anna and her team, it brought it to another level. It's environmental and it's experiential. And it is not intimidating, to your point. It's fascinating and easy and fun. And one of the things I love about the seventh floor is you do have it set up 
as like shops within shops, you know, it's like, so therefore, you, oh, I'm not interested in getting paper goods today, but I am interested in this. I want to look at the glassware. I want to look at the bridal registry or whatever. But you have it all set up. It all flows all together. So you're intrigued. But I can see how a gallery of the many artists that Cherish features and represents would be hugely enticing. And I can see that this is going to be, I think, a big success for both. And I wanted to ask you, because, you know, Cherish is and has been from its conception, an online store. And yet it mm-hmm. seems like more and more internet sellers, direct-to-consumer sellers are reaching out to having brick and mortar, having a real physical outlet, which I think with art yeah. also is very helpful because you can see. It. But is this something you think Cherish might be doing more of? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be our first time doing an, an in-real-life shopping experience for us. We've done a few smallish tests, but really Mm -hmm. quite restrained. This is definitely going to be our biggest foray into this space. And I think like a lot of traditionally all digital brands, what we appreciate and frankly always have, but we're just sort of working on perfecting our online experience has been that great brands. uh, There's a very few great brands I can think of that don't have a physical experience and a way to actually meet and talk to them. And so for us, I come from a branding background and a marketing background. I've spent a lot of time thinking about the Cherish brand. As you know, we publish magazines and this podcast and content and all kinds of things. And so for us, this is kind of, I think, the next frontier for how we start to bring the brand to life. I mean, one of the things that I love about what Andrew's created on the seventh floor, and frankly, I would say it's true for a lot of Bergdorf's, is this notion of an emporium, which you kind of hit on, which for me, the really great retail shopping experiences are multi-branded, and they kind of have this really great feeling of these little corners and little boutiques that you wander into and you kind of go into this special world. And I love that about Bergdorf's seventh floor that I can go into the Kentshire estate jewelry area. And it's like this little fantastic fantasy around estate fine and costume jewelry. And the same thing when you go into the Kelly Wurstler section or you go into the John Salabella section, like you've really done such an amazing job creating these little worlds. And that's kind of how we think of Cherish, honestly, is each of our sellers is their own brand that brings to us their little world, their shop, their point of view, their edit. And so I think in a funny way of all the places to start to bring Cherish to life at retail, this was like a very well aligned partnership from that perspective as well. One of the things we've endeavored to do that we can talk about a little bit is the space that we got is actually kind of like a hallway, but it has little sections to it. And so each one of those we're presenting as a boutique around a theme or a style idea and really merchandising the heck out of it art and more to kind of bring the idea to life, which I think is really what Andrew and his team have done so well in this space with everyone. Yeah. It's sad, though, that you're finally getting into brick and mortar and have to start at the top. I mean, I, I my condolences for that, you know? <laughs> I know. I was like, well, that's the best place. <laughs> it's downhill from here, Michael. Right. No, no, I, I don't believe that. Bergdorf won't let that happen. Don't worry. They may have to smack you around a bit on it, but they won't <laughs> gonna let that happen. No, but Andrew, it, it touches on something else that I wanted to talk to you about. And I mean, this also applies to Cherish as well, but how do you curate? Because one of the things that I love about Bergdorf's, and this goes from all seven floors and the men's store, which I also spend way too much time and money in, 
Because I've been to stores, like I was just in a couple of stores in Paris and I felt like I was in a series of duty-free shops. It was the brand, the brand, the brand. You knew what the brand was. If you knew what you wanted, you go. And Bergdorf's has that very personal curated feeling like, oh, I didn't know about this. Oh, oh, this would go with that. Oh, look at this. So how do you discover that, like, I know the seventh floor was the first place I became aware of John Darien. I think he had a shop already downtown, but I didn't shop there. How do you go about and find these people that you want to work with and that you cultivate and bring along? I know you've had many special little showcases for designers as you do on the jewelry floor as well. So how does that happen? Do you have a team? Yeah, well, if I even take a step back, I am very fortunate that I work for a very large company, Mm -hmm. but I am given the freedom to be very entrepreneurial. So the home floor specifically, I have a team of three buyers. There's assistant buyers. There's a whole merchant team just for this. We're one store for this floor and for our website. And we have the freedom to kind of really do different interesting things. And it's a balance between a mix of large brands, you know, like Baccarat and Hermes and things like that, mm-hmm. and then small artisans who are literally making things in their garage. So our job is to find the balance between the two so we can cater to a luxury customer because they still want branded merchandise in certain categories, and then they want to discover. And I mentioned earlier, our customer, it's an affluent customer. They have everything. So to be able to you know, like I'm going to Paris in a couple of weeks to be able to go and have source all these amazing artisans who've never been in the U.S. is the most fun part of my job. Obviously, working with the big brands is interesting as well, but mm-hmm. just the sense of discovery. And we also have foreign buying offices in Italy and France and Germany and all over. So they're sourcing for us as well. So when we go to Paris, I'm going to a trade show to look at big brands. And then we're going to artist studios all over Paris. And I'll do the same thing. I'm so sorry about your job. It sounds terrible. I have the worst job (laughs) in the world. (laughs) You really do. (laughs) A lot of it is just kind of organic like that. Like the hard thing is sometimes finding these artisans because they're not showing at trade shows. But it is a lot of, oh, my friend does this or so-and-so I saw somewhere and they do this. It's very organic. We're very open to anything. You just never know. So it's constantly like we're, unlike fashion divisions, we're always in market. There's never a downtime. It's not a seasonal thing. No. You know, fall shows, resort collections. Except for Christmas. Right. Right. And that Christmas, I'm sure it's already started for next year, right? It has. It starts <laughs> It starts earlier and earlier because the supply chain is real. So right. it starts earlier and earlier and earlier. And we're going to a Christmas show in three weeks in Germany to do Christmas again. <laughs> Andrew, can I ask a question? Sorry, Michael, I'm taking now the please mic. Please do. How do you deal with, because we also deal with a lot of small makers. And one of the challenges is inventory and actually getting There's a lot of intention and excitement, but getting from the intention and the excitement to actually showing up with the goods and delivering on time, as we all know, is, you know, where the magic happens, as they say. (laughs) So I was wondering, can you talk a little bit about how you've, I mean, you've talked about how you find these great people, but also how you vet them and make sure that it's actually going to happen? That's a very good question because, yes, there are sometimes people we see, maybe it's even in jewelry, and I'm like, oh, this is great, but can they sell to Bergdorf Goodman? Because we are still a big company. We have processes and procedures and it's complicated. So that also is a dance. Like, can you, we have these discussions after we we fall in love with the product. Okay, 
can you do this? Sometimes we have to explain to them the fundamentals of retail, like pricing and, and shipping and imagery. For like They don't know anything. So sometimes there are people we love, but they're just not ready or can't figure it out. Then we say, okay, let's stay in touch. We'll help you develop this. You know, We have teams who can help you figure it out, but it can become a little bit of a longer process. Yeah. Scaling up is always hard for any company, I think, and no matter what you do. Initial success or can start, I mean, and I'm sure you felt this with Cherish, right? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> but I do think that's one of the hardest things is oftentimes the most talented people are the least equipped to do the operation side. And so having that combination of talent, especially in a small business, which is who both of us work with, is hard. So I think we do a similar thing, which is, you know, we try to make it as easy as possible for somebody to partner with us and to kind of take all the heavy lifting and logistics, which in our case, much of it is shipping and payment and marketing off the table for them so that they can focus on their craft. But it is a challenge, especially when you're dealing with buyers with really high expectations. So, Andrew, what are you looking at now? I mean, you guys, you know, you did a special thing on House of Hackney. You know, I said John Darian, you brought a lot of attention to a lot of artists and smaller companies. What do you think your customer is looking at? Or since it's an old Diane of Reland thing, you have to give people what they don't know they want. Right. So how do you stay ahead? What are you looking at now? Is there like a period of design that's of interest to you or medium? God knows we've been seeing of late a lot of ceramics, a lot of glass. What, what do you see coming down the market soon? Yeah, it's an interesting question because like even if some, like you know, what are the trends? What are you looking for? And I always like, I don't know. I don't follow. I mean, it sounds But stupid, you admit it. That's I right. Don't, I don't, we don't follow trends. You know, mm -hmm. we also, as hopefully successful merchants, we have an innate sense of what we think would work. And again, not everything we buy is a home run, but our track record's pretty good. It's just that certain something. And even when I have a, a new buyer working for me, it's so hard to explain what that certain mm -hmm. something is. But, you know, just by being with me and with the group and the other buyers, you kind of get it. And one of our challenges being here in the heart of New York City is sometimes you don't know who you're buying for because we have a global customer. Right. I am not a store in St. Louis where you know the people you're buying for, you know what they like. We're buying for everyone. We're buying for New Yorkers. We're buying for domestic tourists. We're buying for foreign customers. And also the demographics of who's coming in changes due to world events, economic factors, whatever. And it does make it an interesting, never boring blueprint because you don't really know. So we, like I say, we don't really follow trends. If I read in a magazine, the color blue was we don't. I mean, I don't think we're necessarily setting trends because we're working in a microcosm of the shopping hierarchy, but it's luxury, it's artisanal, it's different, it's all mediums, it's everything. It's ceramics, it's glass, it's metal, it's textiles, it's anything that we see and you kind of know when you see it, and then we'll figure out how to merchandise it into our magic mix on the floor, which is also there's like, where does it going to go? That's the other issue. Right. And I will say that sometimes the things that maybe don't sell as well for you, rest of us appreciate because your markdown racks have 
some real finds in them. I will say that. <laughs> sure. Now we know where to find Michael. Yeah. <laughs> He's going through the bins. Well, you know what? I think, Andrew, one thing that is for me as a shopper in your store that connects the experience is just uniqueness. I think what you guys do is find the, however you do it, those pieces, ideas, brands, makers, artists that just kind of new and they're delightful and extraordinary and lovely. And and that uniqueness, I think, is what makes the store and your section of it in particular so magical to me. I guess I wanted to ask you, your team, so much of finding that is about having the right people looking, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you hire and how do you think about finding really great diggers, so to speak, treasure hunters, And how do you screen for taste level and fit and all of that? I mean, it's really interesting. I'm probably the worst interviewer in the world, even though I've (laughs) hired like a million people. Um, But uh, luckily, the track record's been pretty good. But it's... um, It's the hardest thing to do, I think. It's just a feeling. You know, obviously, they have to have skill set, but it's really a gut feeling. So much of everything I'm saying, even like our buying is like gut and instinctual, which is kind of like old school buying, <laughs> which doesn't really mm-hmm. exist anymore in a modern world with technology and data. But it's that's what makes Bergdorf special because we're one store. So it is this kind of just thing that you understand for lack of, I'm not probably not explaining right. it right. But I think you also have to have that bravery to go against the data. You know, when everybody's, yes. when Pantone is saying teal is the color of the year and everybody's showing teal, you have to know, I don't want teal. I'm not everybody else. And you have to think of a different color palette, a different way. And I think that you have the freedom to do that. If you work for a big store with 75 branches around the state or whatever, that's much more constraining. So yeah, I guess it's like you have to take advantage of your freedom and not screw it up. Right. Like I was telling you, <laughs> I have a lot of freedom, but my team does as well. I mean, I'm not, right. I have 800 vendors. I'm not at every appointment. I, I can't micromanage it. We are encouraged to be entrepreneurs. Obviously, we have you know financial goals and many corporate things to meet, but we are encouraged to be entrepreneurs, and I want them to be entrepreneurs. I come, as you mentioned, from an entrepreneurial background, and it fit into this environment very well because we used to, we don't have a name, or we used to have an award at the end of the year, you know, like risk taker of the year, that the buyer took a risk financially, whatever it was, and it paid off. Mm-hmm. We are encouraged to do that. Yeah. And has it ever happened to you that there's something that you put onto the floors, something that you love? You said, this is something I want for myself. This is, I know people are going to love this. And then you were wrong. Uh-huh. That happens all the time, too. I wish I Which could say no. Which is why I love your markdown racks. I wish but, I could say no, because I think even our- That's where you come in, Michael. Yeah, exactly. I think even our markdowns are beautiful. Um, they are. But that's what I'm it saying. It is like, like, yeah, there's something, you know, some things- Yeah, because it mark- is an emotional thing. Yeah. You, you respond to things. You just, I'm sure you've come across artisans who you just love, yeah. you know? Yeah, like- I don't think we're buying anything ugly. And like, yeah, just now looking at what we have marked down now, like there's some beautiful c- ceramics from an artist from I think Paris or, and they're gorgeous. For some reason, it just didn't, and I still don't know what that reason is. It just didn't resonate. And and that's the guessing game part of it. You yeah. know, you do your best, but you don't know. Yeah, because you can be ahead, too far ahead of the curve in a way. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. you know, we it's do a get a little too, there was a, 
period in the few years ago, I was getting two out there um, <laughs> and, and I had to pull it back. <laughs> and the world will tell you when that yes. happens. <laughs> yes, I, I knew. <laughs> so, Anna, when you were thinking about the Cherish Gallery. Yeah. How did you approach it? Were there certain artists that you knew you wanted in there from the beginning? How did you go about editing down? Because you have so many wonderful artists on the Cherish site. Yeah, we do. So the first thing we did is we thought about who we know our audience loves the most. Our audiences are actually remarkably aligned with Mm -hmm. Bergdorf's. We have a very similar shopper profile. So we started there with, you know, who are so to speak, our bestsellers that we know are big blockbusters. And then we sort of started to think about sort of what I was talking about before about the way that we wanted to present to be sort of create these immersive environments, which is very much the Bergdorf way, I think. And so we started to think about how to group those artists together into stories to create themes. So we have a whole story that's really built around an artist named Ron Juicy who sells incredibly well on the site, which is a very pop art kind of feeling room. We're doing one then that is multiple artists will be represented in that we call the fashion editor's apartment. And so we sort of thought about New York and New York personalities and New York people. And so, you know, obviously Warhol, the pop art movement, New York, some of the really big female tastemakers of which I count Linda Fargo, who's one of the, the head of Bergdorf's, but also Diana Vreeland and Diane von Furstenberg. And one of my favorite things is to get glimpses into people's offices and spaces and, and kind of layers of those kinds of tastemakers. And so we imagined what that space might be like and filled it appropriately. Bemelman's Bar is having a moment, old New York, kind of mm-hmm. that classic, kind of nostalgic feeling for New York we thought would be appropriate. So we have a room dedicated to that. Bunny Mellon, who obviously had a lot of houses, but a big New York influence. We are doing a room based around kind of what we're calling a winter garden. And then I'm a huge Gloria Vanderbilt fan. So um, (laughs) I'm really inspired by her use of Americana and quilts and gingham and all that fun kind of stage she went through and the rooms and the visual world she created. So we're going to do another one based around that. So that's sort of how we did it. And we thought about women and New York personalities and, and kind of how that all fit together with our best performing artists and how we could create this essentially series of stories to unfold. So it's been like really, really fun. And when is it, when is it opening? That's when is it officially up, the gallery? So we have a soft opening, meaning you can come shopping right. on January 19th. Right. And it'll be up through April. Fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, Andrew, I'm going to put you on the spot. What would you think would be the next? Because I know this R1 going to be a big success. Would you think about collaborating with Cherish again? Or is there another Oh my God, you're putting him yeah, on the no, spot. That, Don't that, do that. I just said I was. <laughs> it's not. That's what I do. <laughs> well, you, I've been trained by the best. Oh God. <laughs> it's actually, you're not putting me on the spot because these, you know, I've done probably over a hundred of these exhibits in my mm-hmm. years here. And they're also, besides being the center of the floor and giving us a voice, they're a good testing grounds for us. And we've brought on many of the partners that we've done these exhibits with, we brought on in a more permanent way. We did something with Kit Kemp, who owns the Firmdale Hotels here, the Whitby and the Crosby. And she's a designer. And we did an exhibit with her and it was super successful. And then we gave her a little shot. 
And we've done something with Hans Sloan, and we've done two things with him. And that pig was super successful. So I'm right. shocked. And he also sells on Cherish. Yeah. Yeah. So. so it's, you know, like I said, we're very nimble and flexible. And if something is great, we'll figure it out. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what we do. Mm-hmm. So really, you're you're kind of an explorer. You're kind of out there on the edge, Lewis and Clark of home design in a way, finding out what people haven't seen before. I think it's like really exciting. And it's like I said in the intro, I think you do such a service for designers as well, because you edit, you know, there's so much beautiful stuff in the world. and There's so much dreck, but we won't get into that. But there's so much beautiful stuff in the world. And people don't, you know, when you're a busy designer, or even if you're shopping for a gift for someone, you don't have time to go to 50 stores. You go to Bergdorf. And I think that that's such a service that Bergdorf supplies. I mean, it's certainly in the jewelry department. It's, it's I, you know, it's on the ground floor, so I walk through all the time. I don't even wear jewelry, and I'm <laughs> riveted by the designers that you find and the, how beautiful things are and the intricacy of it all that. But, I mean, you do the same thing on the, in the home floor. And, I mean, I think it's so interesting that you reached out to, or well, maybe Anna reached out to you first, but you responded to an, you know, an online seller like Cherish and, that you know, to realize that this is because I do think that people no longer think about whether they bought something online or in person. I think they think of it as something they bought and it's want they wanted it and they bought it. Yeah. And I think that that's very smart. And that's how in our business here, we're on the channel and we try to serve our customer where they want, how they want, you know, whatever form, if they want to look online, buy online, buy in store, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's how every retailer has to live these days. And, and we've been doing this a long time and we kind of have that down, you know, just serving our customer where, however they want to shop. No, it's great. Michael, will you ask Andrew about Takesha Maya? I mean, to me, that was such an amazing experience. It was such a beautiful store, Takesha Maya. So can I blather about this for a minute? Because yeah, you know, I'll please. start crying. But it is, I'm you know, obsessed. I was so fortunate. Sad thing is the young kids here, you know, nobody, they don't know what it was or it, it, I could Google it or something. But it was such an amazing experience. And there was a woman who actually had my job here years ago named Corky Tyler, who was the me here. And she was hired to start that store with the Japanese home company in Japan to start that store. And she designed the whole thing. And when I was 34, I was getting my first real job because I had had my own business as a kid Mm -hmm. and I hadn't really had a real job. And I was fortunate enough, I don't remember how I found this job, but Corky hired me. She didn't quite know what to do with me because I was too (laughs) old to be an assistant buyer, but I really wasn't corporate to be a buyer at the time. So she created a role for me. And a week later, we were in Paris at the home shows. And then it was September 11th. So we bonded because we were stuck there for quite a time. And then it was just the right not knowing it, it was the right place for me. The Japanese culture, I somehow melded with that very well. And also there, we had a lot of freedom. And I just got to do a little bit of everything. I I moved up until I was like the GM of the store at the end. And it was a magical experience. She, Corky, had the best taste of anyone I've ever met in my life. And I hopefully, for the time I worked with her, I hopefully develop some of that, but it, I've never seen anything like it. And walking through Paris or the uh, Marché aux Pousse, we would buy vintage. She could just spot something in the middle of a booth. We're all like looking at our feet because we're tired and cold and hungry. And she was like, I see that, I see that. It was 
unbelievable. That was the most beautiful store. Not that Bergdorf's isn't beautiful, and I love being here, but that was a magical experience. I was the last one out right. when it closed. Um, right. No, it was amazing because it actually made minimalism so seductive and sensual. And yeah. I, you know, and I think that's was a, that store is late. I mean, I said it called it lamented, and I think it's true. Wouldn't you agree, Anna, that, that it really inspired a lot of people? Yeah. And I do think that's what's so amazing about your experience, Andrew, and kind of what you've been able to work on, which is there are these handful of very, very special experiences at retail that people remember and in some cases are homesick for, but just really that are changing, you know, transformational if you get the chance to spend time in them. I mean, I think Taki Shamayo clearly won for me early on Bentel was like that. Um, Same thing with Bergdorf's now. I felt that way about early Fred Siegel yeah. in LA. There's just a couple of these places that you go and your heart explodes because it's so much fun. I mean, I'm clearly an obsessive shopper, so maybe for other people, it's like not quite as emotional. But for me, those are such important places. And I think it's remarkable that you've been able to be part yeah. of, you know, two of probably five to six of them in the world. All right. So, Andrew, with your global globetrotting perspective and editorial eye, as you're traveling around the world, what are the stores or places or experiences where you go and your heart explodes and you get really excited? Yeah, you know, part of our, when we when we travel, besides going to trade shows and market appointments, and is to go around and look at stores. And even, I'm in Paris probably the most, and even though it's a huge department store, Le Bon Marché is amazing. And they yeah. do, even it's a much more department store scale, but they do like store takeover exhibits. And it's incredible that they can execute that on that scale. So that to me is inspirational of how they do that. Like Merci in Paris mm -hmm. is a cool store. Mm -hmm. We always go there. I love going to Luisa Villaroma in Italy. And then there's all these small, like in Florence, we meet with a lot of artisans. Like there's this great tiny little store. I can't remember where it is exactly, but it's this third generation family business that they make these brass or pewter frames that we sell. They're like works of art. And it's the father who's in his 80s and the son who's probably my age and nobody speaks English. And it's the size of a closet. And I just love going there and they whip out all their new creations and we go that, 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 that. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but there's more of those little places that our partners in Europe take us to. And that part's the most fun. Yeah, it was a very strange, you know, very microscopic, you know, it's a very strange career in retail to only really work for single store specialty retailers on Fifth Avenue. But it's been, <laughs> it's been. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just been a very interesting ride. And it's like Anna was saying, merchandising. It's not just about buying and putting it on the floor. It's, you, it's creating theater, you know, and well, enticing yeah. people. We have the most amazing visual team that yes, you could certainly imagine. Do. Because even the, you, you touched on the windows and David Hoey, who is our window director, who is, you know, a magician. But then the visuals, like we have a whole team just for seven. Because it's yeah. it's a lot, and we're constantly changing. And there's these exhibits every few months. And besides that, all the mini exhibits and the just keeping all the numer. Where are you going to put everything when you you know we're just buying, 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 and then you got to make it all look magical. Right. And everything needs to have a place and a purpose and make sense from an experience of customers walking through. And we have the most amazing 
visual team and they're like my, I mean, we're, we talk 10 times a day. They're yeah. my partners and we work in the, uh, work in the store. So we're down there every few minutes, practically, it seems working with them on, on there's something new came, where should we put it? What are we going to do with it? It's fascinating. And what's interesting to me is all those places that you mentioned, Anna, of course, they're businesses and they have corporate, like you said, they have processes and Andrew, the things you have to go through, but they had very particular vision, almost like a mm-hmm. personal vision. And I think that that's what you managed to do in Bergdorf is you know that you're in good hands, that somebody's leading you through and, you, you know, they're not going to smack you in the face. They're going to entice you, seduce you, keep your eye delighted, surprise you, which is so important, you know, because we all know what's out there. We don't need to see another gift shop with the same potpourri and scented soaps that everybody else has. And I think that that is a lot of work, clearly, but you're out there and you're open to things. And I think it's so great that you were open to doing this collaboration with Cherish because that is going to be, I think, a huge benefit to both organizations. And that's what it's all about is making the customer happy and being successful. And I think that it's such a great match, you and Anna, you know, <laughs> Andrew and Anna, we can do the, the, the A team. We're going to call you the A team from now. It's been yeah, a lot of fun. It's been yeah, great. It, it has, really has been, been. So congratulations to you both. So I want to thank my guests, Andrew Mandel and Anna Brockway, from Berg, Doris, and Cherish, respectively. And I want to thank everyone for listening to the Cherish podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.